The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A creepy apparition makes itself known. But what does it want? And then we travel to Hawaii to take a look at a family that has recently rented a house. At first, they begin to experience minor disturbances. But as mysterious event after mysterious event continues to manifest in this house, the family has to wonder if there's a poltergeist haunting them. However, the truth is far more terrifying. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys have some awesome plans for this upcoming weekend. I might go see the new Ant-Man movie. Um, I hated the first one. (laughs) I thought it was awful. And I didn't watch the second one. But something tells me that surely, maybe this third movie will be entertaining. Uh, probably not. But at the very least, I'll be able to eat some popcorn and drink soda. You're like, Jason, you can do that. I don't have to go see Ant-Man to drink stuff. <laughs> I'm all dehydrated. I was like, oh, if only an Ant-Man movie would come out. I haven't had a drink in 10 years. But that's probably what I'll do this week. And I hope you guys hope you guys have more entertaining plans than watching Ant-Man. But someone who's always entertaining, no matter the circumstance... Walking into a horrible car accident. He's doing a dance. He's doing a dance. Dancing his way into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Everyone give it up for one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Boogus. Woohoo! Yeah! Come on in, Boogus! Yay! Welcome into Dead Rabbit Command. Boogus, you're gonna be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, it's totally fine. It really is. Just help support the show by getting the word out. That is another way you can really help Dead Rabbit Radio grow. Boogus, let's go ahead and toss you the oars to the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. Captain this boat all the way down to San Francisco, California. Splash! Splash! We're all rowing this rowboat while Boogus is looking all admirably standing on the bow of it. We finally get to San Francisco... And this is a story that has very, very specific coordinates. I love stuff like this because you can kind of go there and double check it. Although this story, this story you may be like, no, I'm good. I don't, need to, I don't need to go to that haunted house. Apparently, we don't have the exact house address, but this takes place in San Francisco on 23rd Avenue near Lincoln, which is right across the street from Golden Gate Park, which if you're not from California... It sounds beautiful, right? Golden Gate Park, you imagine in San Francisco. And like, it's just, you know, San Francisco stuff, hilly and grass. I lived in the Bay Area for a good period of time and you couldn't catch me in Golden Gate Park for nothing. You cannot pay me to go there. Maybe it's better now. It's probably far worse than it was in the 80s. But Golden Gate Park, locally, I don't know if it's as internationally known as, say, what's the big park? Central Park in New York. 
Central Park in New York, again, things could be different now, but when I was growing up, it was the same thing with Golden Gate Park. You can be there during the day, but if you're out after the sun sets, you're dead. <laughs> you're basically dead. Um, the police won't even go there to help you. It, once the sun, once the sun no longer gives its life-giving light on the world, these giant parks just become murder factories. <laughs> it's basically the purge every night. At least that was my I, how it was brought to me as a child. I was basically told, don't ever go into Golden Gate Park at night. And really not during the day either, because there's a bunch of drug users and stuff like that. I don't know, maybe it's better. Probably not. But anyways, the reason why I bring all of that stuff up is if you want to talk about a place with a nefarious haunting, which is what we're going to get into right now, it totally makes sense. that <laughs> It's across the street. From this park. Because a lot of bad stuff happened there. A lot of bad stuff happens there. 23rd Avenue near Lincoln. Across the street from Golden Gate Park. Someone posted this story online. It's very, very short. But the visual is just terrifying. This person said... They go online. They go by the name Spooky Inky 987. So if you can't trust a guy named Spooky Inky when it comes to ghosts, who can you trust... He said, um, I used to live in this house next to Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. And one day I was there and I saw something come out of the wall. It bubbled out of the wall and it was a dark cloud made of human skulls. And he's watching it bubble out of the wall. <laughs> I don't know if it was a tune. I don't know if it was actually making a musical tune. But this dark cloud of human skulls was bubbling out of the walls. And he says, like, the bubbling was he would watch these human skulls get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's about the size of a human skull. And then it would begin to shrink into a tiny skull. And then another skull would appear. But it was like all this was happening at once. It was basically like this roiling mass of human skulls growing and shrinking. Enveloped in this black cloud that's phasing through this wall. And he says it came out of the wall... And for around 10 seconds, it sat there, hovering in midair, continuing to boil and bubble out human skulls. And then after 10 seconds, it slowly began to ooze backwards into the wall. That's it. That's the whole ghost story, right? That's the whole ghost story, but when it's that insane, do you need more? Like, if you saw that, if you saw that, you go in there with your EMF detector, and you got your little tape recorder to record EVPs, and you're like, yes, we're going to go ghost hunting. Maybe we'll pick up a voice of an old lady who got murdered in Golden Gate Park. And you got all your equipment set up, right? You're ready to spend the night, and then all of a sudden, a undulating mass of human skulls flowed through the walls. You'd be like, okay, that is all the proof that I needed. Um, we're leaving now. We're leaving now. You probably want to stick around a little bit longer, but you know what I mean? Like, even a hardened paranormal researcher would be like, that's the most insane thing I've ever seen. I've seen a lot of ghosts floating down hallways. 
I've heard some spooky noises in abandoned asylums, but a floating mass of human skulls growing and shrinking. Yeah, that 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 that, that uh, is going to go on my resume. That is quite the feat. Very, very interesting ghost story. He actually posted it. Someone was asking online, what are some physically unusual ghosts that you've come across, that you've seen, people who've seen paranormal stuff? but some physically unusual ones. And that was the one, there was a lot of them, but that was the one that really stuck out the most to me. There was another one where a guy said he saw a Civil War ghost, but this might have been on a different forum, actually. This might not have been in this same question, but he said he saw a Civil War ghost, but half of its jaw was torn away, like the cheek, the sinus cavities were torn away, and he could see the the, the teeth. He could see, like, the open jaw and the teeth and everything like that is very mangled up ghost, which is interesting because we're going to talk about this at the Oregon Ghost Conference on March 24th. I'm giving a presentation there at 6 p.m. March 24th in Seaside, Oregon. We're going to talk about stuff like that, like why some ghosts appear incredibly grisly while others just seem, I mean, everyone dies one way or the other. Not all deaths, but a lot of deaths are gory, getting ripped apart by lions or getting ripped apart by dogs or falling into a thresher, a wheat thresher, and then spitting your guts out all over the wheat. You know, are you just now going to float around for the next hundred years? Or are you going to haunt the farm as a, it's like floating entrails, just float around the farm? They're like, oh, Billy, Billy and his entrails floating around. No, his ghost, tr- traditionally what we see in Ghost Lord, is people who die, like you fall into a machine, and you get shredded up, you're not now a floating pile of guts, you're Billy. You're just like the ghost of a guy walking through the field. And they're like, he's never left a wheat thing done. <laughs> I don't know anything about wheat. We hired Billy because the government paid half of his salary. We just kind of let him hang out. But now he just walks around the wheat. We see old Bill, old Billy boy, walking around the wheat. It's not, it's not this horrific vision of guts everywhere, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it is headless ghosts, like we talked about earlier this week. Sometimes it's a Civil War ghost with half of his face missing. But then other Civil War people get just blown to bits, and they show up back at the house of their sweetheart. They finally made it home, even in death. And they're walking around with their ghost girlfriend. She jumped off the building when he died during the battle jumped off the top of their house and now their ghosts are like sitting in the tea room every so often you look in there and you see this young couple so how come that happens but this other dude has half a face for eternity but even this like boiling mass of human skulls this goes beyond ghosts like this is such a demonic image but what is it what what could it possibly be what is this trying to tell us what what does this manifestation say about the world of the paranormal? We don't know. This is one of those things that's so far outside the norm. What's interesting, and I'll wrap it up like this because I could talk about this forever. What's interesting is that this is the type of imagery you see in horror movies. So people who don't follow paranormal, people who aren't like paranormal researchers like us, or people who are at least interested enough in the paranormal to listen to podcasts and read articles about it, they assume this type of stuff is far more common. They assume poltergeist activity is more common and these type of monstrous entities coming out and ghosts killing people. All of those things are extremely rare. Extremely rare. Visually seeing a full body apparition is rare. Being killed by a ghost is... I mean, it happens. 
but it it's such a small percentage of actual ghost sightings. It's almost you could almost statistically say it doesn't happen. And then like this, like ghosts appearing in monstrous forms, inhuman monstrous forms. It, again, it happens so rarely, it, they might as well not exist as well. So fascinating story coming out of San Francisco. Quite short, but quite terrifying. Boogus, go ahead and call in the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind San Francisco. Make sure you got your wallet on you because we were near Golden Gate Park. We're leaving behind San Francisco. Take us all the way out to Hawaii. I wanted to do a real quick Dead Rabbit Recommends. I swear that I had talked about this, but I couldn't find in any of my notes any mention of it. So I definitely want to recommend this. And it's very topical. We've been talking about this for the past couple weeks, not only on the show, but in society in general. There's an anthology film called Doomsday Book. It's a South Korean anthology film. There's three different stories. But the second story... I mean, I saw this over ten years ago. And I think about that second story all the time. It is one of the coolest pieces of sci-fi. Very thought-provoking, right? You're... Stuck in my head. It's called the second. I mean, you watch you watch the whole thing. You can watch the first story is okay, and the third story is kind of funny. But the second one is some of the coolest sci-fi that I've come across. Really, I, I'd rank it up there with some of the best. It's called the Heavenly Creature. The movie itself is called Doomsday Book, but the second story on that is what I want to highlight: the Heavenly Creature and what it is. The story of it's basically the story of a robot repairman. It's, it takes place in modern times, but technology is a little more advanced. There's a robot repairman who gets called out to a Buddhist temple to repair a robot. And this robot was originally purchased, and they're all over the country, as a tour guide. And it has this memory, and it will walk around and go like, this fountain was built in so-and-so. And then it would walk a little bit through the Buddhist temple. And look at over there. There is a bench. That bench, that bench is brand new. They just installed that last week. And this robot would give tours, and the Buddhist temple calls up the company and says, hey, our tour bot, our tour robot is malfunctioning. So they send a repairman out, and he gets there, and he's like, where's your robot? I'm here to fix it. And they go, come with us. And they lead him into the temple, and the robot is praying. And they go, this robot malfunctions. It thinks it's Buddhist. It believes in all of the tenets of the Buddhism religion. And the repairman's like, what in the world? And it's super interesting. It's quite long, too. It's not like a 10-minute short. I think it's like 40 minutes long. The, the thrust of the story is some of the monks are saying, this is totally legit. Like, he actually believes. It's not just that he has this memory and can cite everything about our religion. He believes in it. And not only does he believe in it, he might be the Buddha. Because he has been able to release himself from all attachments. He can truly, when he meditates, he thinks of nothing. He has truly learned to cleanse his mind. He is devoid of all sin. He might be the Buddha. And the other group of monks are saying, yeah, his mind is clean because he can literally shut himself off. It's a machine. 
He can't actually believe this stuff. He's just a machine. A tour guide, really. So he knows everything about it, but he can't believe it. And the technique it's super interesting because you see that kind of argument going on, and then we get to see the robot following the tenets of Buddhism and how that's affecting everyone at the temple. And the repairman is trying to figure out what to do. So you have all these different stories going on. Like, do you shut him off? Because that's what the, the officials of the temple want. They just want him shut off. Or do you let him continue to work? It's super interesting. I really, really love that short film. I've watched it a couple times over the years. And we've been talking so much about AI recently that I was like, I got to mention this. I really got to mention this. It's called, the full movie's called Doomsday Book. But the second feature, like I, I barely remember the first, I think it had something to do with zombies, the first movie maybe. But the second part, The Heavenly Creature is fascinating. It's just great sci-fi. Really, it's just really, really good sci-fi. So Dead Rabbit Radio recommends checking out Doomsday Book. That is the movie you will look for if you want to check this out. Doomsday Book. And the second feature is the one about the robot, the Buddhist monk robot. I mean, it's just absolutely fascinating even to say that. And yeah, it's great. I really, really enjoy it. Boogus, go ahead and land this carpenter copter in Hawaii. Specifically, we're in Honolulu. And when we land, we're all stretching our legs out. We're like, yeah, dude, this is awesome. We're running into the sand. Wee! In the waters, we're swimming like sea turtles. We're just totally relaxing. It's been a long time, if ever, that we've had a vacation spot and a Dead Rabbit Radio episode. So we're just, you know, chilling on the beach, catching some rays, enjoying the beautiful Hawaiian islands. But while we're doing that, a family is headed out to a new house. This is a house they've just rented as they are going to live in Hawaii for a while. We have the Campbell family. This story starts in May 2019. You have the Campbell family, James and Brittany Campbell. And he brought two boys with him from a previous relationship, but together they're one happy family. And there's a couple dogs as well. Everyone's just loving life. Now, James is in the military, and he was now going to be stationed out of Hawaii, so that's why they're renting this house. And... I mean, what could be better, right? Young family, young love, beautiful location. It's all going to work out. They move in in May, and there's a slow unboxing process. So it's not like they're in a hurry to get all the, every box unpacked. It, you know, you're just going to let the process play out. But by the time they go for a vacation in September, it's been quite a few months, they still have a lot of boxes in their garage. They go for a week-long vacation in September 2019. When they come back, Brittany goes into the garage to grab something, and the boxes in there are all opened up, and things... The way Brittany described it was she said things were thrown out of the boxes, but then they were... Thrown into piles. So there was an order to it, but it still appeared like things were just pulled out and thrown in every direction. And yet you had these different piles of items that were related. She calls in her husband, James. James, James, come in the garage. I think someone's broken into the house. That would be your first thing. Someone was rummaging through your boxes looking for valuables. So James comes into the garage he looks at it. He also assumes they've been robbed while they were gone for a week. But after checking through everything 
it appears that nothing has been stolen. At least nothing of value, nothing they could notice was missing from the boxes or the piles. Everything seemed to be there. James figures maybe one of the dogs did it. Maybe one of the dogs opened up all these boxes and threw the things into very specific piles. You're going to quickly learn that James, while probably a good father and husband, <laughs> makes a lot of really boneheaded decisions this whole story. And this is 100% a true story. There's been a bunch of news coverage of this, all sorts of stuff. It's absolutely insane. James, probably a good guy, <laughs> makes a lot of weird moves in this story. Anyways, a week later, Brittany's at home alone. And she hears the front door slam. And it's loud. It's like a kind of an angry slam. And she's in the house and she's home alone, but she assumes that it's James and the kids coming back. So she goes, James? House is dead quiet. James, did you just come in? What was... Did you just slam the door? No answer. Later, when James and the boys do come back home, she asks him, Hey, did you come back earlier? I heard the front door just, like, slam shut. He's like, No, no, actually, we're just coming back right now. I wasn't here earlier. She goes, that's so weird because I swear that I heard the door slam shut. And he goes, well, you know, maybe it was the wind. Did you leave the door open? She's like, no. Someone would have had to open it to slam it shut. Maybe it was the wind. Later that same night, Brittany wakes up in the middle of the night because she hears the sound of a door opening. Wake up, James. James, wake up. James, I think someone's in the house. I'm hearing a door open up. Remember, just a week ago, somebody was in the dogs. Somebody or something got into their boxes and was throwing stuff everywhere. Earlier that day, a front door was slammed shut. Now she's hearing a door handle being jiggled. He says, you're just being paranoid. I'm not even going to get out of bed. I am not even going to get out of bed, Brittany. I think you're just being paranoid. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the sound of people trying to get into her house. Well, he goes back to sleep. And she goes down and she checks. I don't know if it's exactly the front door. It might have been the back door, but it was one of the doors leading outside. She goes down and she checks the door. It's unlocked. She then locks it. Goes upstairs to tell James, hey, listen, I think someone's in the house. I just found the door unlocked. And I know that I locked it when we went to bed. So she wakes him up and James is so mad. <laughs> James is so mad that she keeps waking him up over her being paranoid. They start fighting. They get into a full argument in the middle of the night about whether or not Brittany is being paranoid because she thinks somebody is coming into their house. And while they are having this argument, they hear the back door slam shut. Both of them clearly hear that back door slam shut. 
And James goes, it's just the wind. It's just the wind, baby. It's all the winds. I'm not even going to check. I'm a serviceman. I've been, I've been tasked with protecting America's freedoms. But walking to go check that back door? No, that's, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up for that. You're just being paranoid. That was just the wind. We're going back to bed. Several days later, James is alone in the house. Okay, here's the point in time where James gets a taste of it. James is alone in the house, and he's playing the piano. He's not a supervillain. He's not the Phantom of the Opera. I don't know if that's a thing. I guess people do sit in their house all alone and play the piano. It's, that sounds menacing in and of itself. Just a, sitting in a house alone playing a piano. I don't know. Is that a thing? But he did it. I'm sure Lex Luthor's done it a couple of times. He's sitting in his house, playing the piano. When all of a sudden he gets the feeling that somebody's watching him. That unmistakable feeling that somebody has their eyes locked on you. And he turns and he looks and the drapes were shut. So he couldn't see outside the window, but the way that the sunlight was hitting the window so perfectly, he clearly saw the silhouette of a man standing outside. He sees the silhouette of a man standing outside his window. He can't really see who it is. He just sees the outline of an adult male Perfectly framed by the sun beaming down. And this dude's staring at James. James sees the silhouette watching him play the piano. The silhouette then runs away. And James goes, hmm. That must be one of my neighbors I haven't met yet. <laughs> they were just curious. They walked right up to my window in the middle of the day to hear me play piano. They didn't knock on the door. They didn't introduce themselves. They just stood menacingly right outside my house, staring at me while my back was to them. It must just be a neighbor. Now, I'm not saying he had to run out there with a crowbar or anything, but at this point, he should be putting stuff together that whatever's going on, it is connected and it is unusual and it is something you should be afraid of. A couple days after that, the family decides to go to the movies. And there's this thing where Brittany likes to bring her favorite blanket to wrap herself up in the movie theater. But she can't find it. And they look all over the house. I'll be honest, this, this family, at least the parents, seem a little high maintenance. But they can't go to the movies until so they find Brittany's favorite blanket. The kids are looking for it. James is probably pretending to look for it. He's like, ah, oh, not this again. Brittany's tearing the house up and down looking for this blanket. They can't find it anywhere. Whatever, we'll just go to the movies. Let's just go. Brittany's finally given up finding this blanket. When they come back from the movies, right when they walk into the living room, sitting on the couch, neatly folded up, is Brittany's blanket. So at this point, there is no more, this is the wind, this is the neighbors, you're just being paranoid. Something is going on in this house. And really, the smartest move anyone's ever made in any of these type of stories, they leave for three months. They're like, we're not even coming back to this house. 
get what you have on you. We're out of this house for three months. And you would have to think, I read a bunch of articles on this. At no point did they say we thought it was a ghost. But you would have to think at a certain point you would go, it has to be a ghost. Because what other phenomenon could possibly do this? It's in the house. It's rummaging through your stuff. It's opening and closing doors. Now, you would assume it was like a burglar, but what type of burglar is going to fold your blanket? Like, burgle your blanket and then bring it back. It's all nice and washed with a little note from the burglar. Doesn't make sense. You have the person standing outside. And and honestly, I would be shocked if James told Brittany that happened. He might have told her about that way after the fact, but I doubt Brittany came home from work and she's he's like, honey, you won't believe what happened today. A neighbor stopped by and she's like, oh, really? Which one? And he goes, I don't know. He was a silhouette. He was a stationary silhouette standing right outside the window staring at me while I played the piano. She'd be like, what? That's not a neighbor. That's probably the same weirdo who keeps opening and closing doors. I doubt he told her about that at the time. They leave the house for three weeks. They figure whatever's there... I don't know actually what they were thinking. I mean, you have to come back, right? You rent the house. You've already signed a lease. You'd have to come back at a certain point. But anyways, after three weeks, they come back to the house. And right when they're pulling up, right? I mean, they don't even get in the house. This already goes insane. As they're pulling up to the house, James sees that his bike that he left in the garage because that's what you do when you're going to be gone for a period of time so people don't steal stuff. As he's pulling up, he sees his bike sitting in the driveway. At that point, they open the garage, and it is a complete mess. It's just completely tore apart. Stuff's everywhere. And I'm assuming they left the kids in the car, because at this point, they're like, somebody's in the house. It could be a poltergeist, right? (laughs) But... They open the garage, they see all this junk strewn everywhere in the garage, and then there's a bunch of prescription bottles. And they're not James and Brittany's prescriptions. There's a bunch of medicine there. And they're like, what in the world is this? So Brittany calls 911. James, (laughs) this is is probably what I would do, but I'd also think... I was being boneheaded in this. Brittany's on the phone to 911. James grabs a hammer out of the garage and decides to go into the house. Somebody is getting their brains beaten out tonight. James goes to open the front door and he can't. Well, I mean, technically he could. He did just a little bit. But then he felt a force pushing on the door from the other side. And James hears a very calm voice say, This is not your house. James put that phrase to the test when he proceeded to kick his way through the door, kick the door open, knocking the guy to the ground, and then dragged him outside of the house this was not a ghost it was not a phantom it wasn't a neighbor it was a dude named ezekiel zayas he's a 23 year old man and he'd been living in the house with them the police show up right they arrest this guy for breaking and entering but the truth was going to be far more insane like we're just getting started 
with this story. I know we don't have a lot of time left, but his story's insane. This guy was living in the house with him undetected. I mean, he wasn't doing a great job on the undetected part. He kept making a lot of noise when he was coming and going. And the police don't know how long he was there. The police don't know if he was there for a long time. They don't know if he showed up during the week they were gone on their first vacation. But he was living in the house while they were there. But his he wasn't some homeless bum. Well, he might have been. He might have been a homeless bum. But his goal wasn't just to find a place to live and he'd have access to delicious food as long as he snuck around at night. No. He was using a laptop computer, one of James and Brittany's laptop computers. It's so funny because Brittany goes, there was some webcam footage. He was doing like this. He was doing this video blog, apparently. And there was webcam footage of him completely naked sitting in Brittany's office chair. And she's like, that's so gross. He was naked. He was in my chair. I was like, listen, lady, he did, he did way grosser stuff. If that's really the thing you're complaining about, then, then you are very, very isolated. You've lived a very comfortable existence because that wasn't the worst thing he did, that he sat with his balls touching your leather chair. No. On a computer, he began writing the Omnivore Trials. That's not a spinoff of Hunger Games. The Omnivore Trials was his research paper. The full title of it was The Omnivore Trials, A Rehabilitation for Rat-Like People. And this was a diary of sorts. It talked about him breaking into the house. It talked about how he observed the Campbells, a.k.a. the rat-like people. He considered... They were simply test subjects. And he was a researcher compiling notes. His goal, he was going to turn these omnivores into Ezekiels. That's what the prescription medication was for. He, I, would, I would love to get my hands on this document. They haven't released it to the public. It's probably completely terrifying. They don't want it to inspire any copycats. His goal was to drug the family, all, all of them, the husband, the wife, and the two kids, and give them, quote-unquote, corrective surgeries. He went into detail how he wanted to give them sex changes. He wanted to drug this family, and then... <laughs> Do I have to go into detail? You're like, oh, I wonder what that means, Jason. Go into detail about that. What did he plan on doing to the kids? I don't think I have to go into detail, right? He wanted to give them all sex changes. He wanted to do that. He also wanted to do hand transplants, which I mean, at that point, <laughs> if someone goes, if I'm tied to a chair and someone goes, I'm going to cut off your genitals, I'm like, no. And then he goes, and then I'm going to cut off your hand. I would be like, you might want to start with that one. That one's not as threatening. I mean, I want both my hands, but if you're trying to, like, psychologically torture someone, start by saying you're going to cut off my hand. And then, my genitals. I'm all giving him advice. I'm like, if you really want a good cut, hold the saw like this. No, he talked about doing limb transplants. He wanted to cut hands off some of the family members and get me hilarious. This mom woke up and she had her little son's hands. She's like, oh no, these son, these hands haven't even gone through puberty yet. There's no hair on the knuckles. I don't know why she would complain about that. <laughs> She's like, come on, man, give me my husband's hands. Give me them hairy knuckles. 
But yeah, he wanted to do hand transplants and sex changes. And this would turn them into Ezekiels. I'm sure there was other stuff he wanted to do. Again, that's why I kind of want to get my hands on this document, my transplanted hands on it. Right now I have the hands of an elderly grandmother. I want to get my hands on this document because I want to see what else he was up to. That can't be it. He can't be like, I imagine there's more. I imagine he's sicker than that. But, I mean, that's pretty bad, right? Four, four, you're like, Jason, you wanted to give this a family of four forced sex changes. And you're like, oh, come on, Ezekiel, you can do better than this. Maybe I do give advice to weirdos. Anyways, the police don't know how long he was there. They do realize that this guy is a menace. He'd broken into this house. He was threatening to mutilate this family. And in typical police fashion, they let him go. I'm not joking. The police didn't let him go right there, but he got like basically a charge for burglary. That was it. He got a charge for burglary. And I don't know, it probably wasn't the police officers themselves, but a judge was like, well, you know what? We'll let you go free until your trial. Maybe it was a low bail or whatever. So this lunatic, this lunatic who'd been hiding in his family's home was allowed to walk free shortly after his arrest. Then what happened was he went to a Buddhist temple. He went to a Buddhist temple in Hawaii and vandalized it. And that was when the court system was like, what, you painted You painted on that building? You, sir, are a menace to society. They threw him in jail long-term for that. You know, breaking into someone's house, talking about cutting a bunch of dicks off, that's totally fine. That's what we do here. But vandalizing a building, they've gone too far. And it is a religious structure, I get that. But I'm assuming even most Buddhist monks would be like, wait, that guy wasn't already arrested? Wait, what? How was that guy even free? It's nuts because he gets that vandalism charge and the burglary charge. He ends up in prison in 2020. And that's when, if you don't remember, we had all those COVID lockdowns. And I remember when I, because I have friends that are in prison. I remember thinking about like my cousin Billy. I was like, dude, like how, it's crummy out of prison during all this COVID stuff. I'm locked down. This is like the initial two weeks, right? And I was thinking about my cousin Billy. I was like, dude, like that must suck. Like you're locked up and you're in prison. And all of a sudden you have this disease flowing around that nobody knows about. How much it must have sucked. Well, that's what Ezekiel was going through. I could care less if he had a sucky experience in jail. But in 2020, he got COVID. And he was put in this cell with three other people, prisoners who had COVID at the time. They were just trying to isolate them. This is super early days. I don't think they do this anymore. This was the super early days of the outbreak. So you had Ezekiel, this lunatic... And then you had another guy. We don't know who that guy was. But then we had a career thief. Listen, this guy wasn't an angel. This other guy, his name was Vance Grace. He was 62 years old. He he dealt drugs. And he was a career criminal. He'd been in and out of incarceration throughout his life. He was one month away from being released. He's 62 years old. He gets COVID. And they throw him in this cell with Ezekiel, who proceeds we don't know why he did this because again the guy's a lunatic and the third inmate was just watching this going oh my god apparently there's a divide there's like a safety button you can hit in this cell this isolation cell that helps the guards get in 
helps the cards get in faster. I don't know if they call it the snitch button or what, but I assume you're going to have to use it from time to time. Who knows why he did this? They've never really figured it out, but Ezekiel knocked Vance to the ground and began attacking him. The 62-year-old man who was a month away from getting out, he begins attacking him, and when the guards are alerted, the, the, the third prisoner's like, help, help, this guy's getting murdered in here. The guards are trying to get into the cell, and they, they're like, they can't get in. And now Ezekiel has this man, has Vance on the ground, and he begins stomping on this old man's head. And the guards are trying to get in, and that's when the third inmate has to, like, activate a button from inside the cell that'll help the guards get in quicker. This is so bizarre. But anyways, maybe they just made this story up because people were wondering, hey, guards, what took you so long? This old man was getting assaulted in the cell, and they're like, well, you know, the button on the inside that opens the door. They're like, wait, there's a button on the inside of cells that opens doors? I don't get it. But anyways, the guards finally get into the cell, and Vance is already dead. Like, he just got stomped out by Ezekiel. And Vance's son is suing the prison. They go, you dropped the ball a hundred different times there. One, you didn't get into the cell quick enough. Two, my, he goes, my dad shouldn't have been in there in the first place. Like, you put him in with dangerous people. You put him in with psychopaths. And he was just a thief. And you just go, oh, he has COVID. Let's just put him in a cell with other people who have COVID. And he goes, you're responsible for my dad dying. I definitely think there's a lawsuit there, right? Because they the prison made that situation happen. But after that, Ezekiel is now getting charged with murder. He's now getting charged with murder. And he is determined to be too crazy for trial. The court psychiatrists say this guy is certifiably insane. We can't hold the trial right now. And what they do when they do that is they put you in a mental hospital until you become fit for trial when you can actually comprehend the charges against you. And then they will put you on trial. That's how this system works out. And I imagine he was showing psychotic behaviors in prison. And that's why the guards should have known better than to put these people in the cell together. But they're just like, everyone has COVID. You're all going in here. Because if you're so insane, usually like people can be, be, Jeffrey Dahmer was found fit for trial. Like you can be an insane person eating other people and the court goes, yeah, you know, you're, you're sane. You have to be pretty bad off to get one of these too insane to be held fit for trial. So I doubt, I'm sure that he was showing symptoms of this for a while in prison. He was definitely showing them outside of prison. He was breaking into people's house, trying to cut their hands off. So they put him in a mental hospital where he will be held until trial. But here's the creepy part. <laughs> you're like, Jason, it was all creepy. It's all terrifying. As you're listening to this episode, you're walking around with the broom. You're checking your attics and everything. You're like, I don't know, man. This episode's kind of creepy. I was hoping it's just a ghost. I was hoping it's just a bunch of skulls floating around. No, this is real life. He was put in the mental hospital. And there is no word of what has happened next. Nothing. 
Nobody knows where this guy is. They don't even know what hospital he's in. I couldn't find any articles that talked about that. And this was actually, this story was, there's a bunch of stories about the Campbell family. It was an episode of a show, like there's some Lifetime, I think, or a TLC show called like Living in My House. Or like some weirdo in my house. You know how all those shows are. And it's real life stories about people who live in other people's houses. <laughs> You're like, yeah, Jason, that's Airbnb. No, like I think they call it frogging or fragging or something like that. It's where someone lives in your house and you don't know it. And there's enough of these. There's enough of these that they have an entire television show about it. And this story was highlighted on there. This is a high profile case. There's a ton of articles about it. And you have an open lawsuit as well. So whenever you have an open lawsuit, there's constantly information coming in because Vance's son is suing the Hawaii Department of Corrections. But where is this guy now? Because I'll tell you this. I do not trust the system to keep us safe. I read more than enough true crime stories where people... I don't know, just for example, break into a house and want to chop off people's genitals and then they're allowed to walk free. I read stories all the time about killers who get paroled. I actually covered a story recently on my TikTok. A guy was acquitted of double homicide, a gangland slain at a recording studio. This guy shot two people at a recording studio, execution style. He was found not guilty... And then nine days later, kills his girlfriend who was carrying his baby. She was five months pregnant. Nine days after being acquitted of a double homicide. The system is not set up to protect us. So when they say we're going to put him in a mental hospital and we're going to keep him here until he's fit for trial and then we're going to move. I don't believe you. I don't believe you because I have eyes and I read the paper. And they're not saying where this guy is. Nobody knows where he's at. Court documents, reality television shows, journalists writing articles, they don't know where he's at. And because the system sucks, because it does not protect us, it is possible that he is in your house right now. Right? It's possible. If you live in Hawaii, it's probable, right? It's most likely going to happen at some point that Ezekiel will be in your... It's basically classified as some sort of spider. They're like, well, if you live in Hawaii, you might run into an Ezekiel hiding in your cupboards. Um, it's, it is possible. It is not outside the realms of possibility that right now Ezekiel is hiding in your house. So sleep tight. Dear friends, have a pleasant dream as you drift off to sleep. You didn't notice that your milk, you drink warm milk every night, don't you? You didn't notice it tasted a little odd this time. It tasted like, like crushed up prescription medication. You're like, hmm, just like grandma used to make. My grandma, who was a drug dealer and had to hide evidence all the time in my milk. Oh, this taste, this taste reminds me of good. And your eyelids grow heavy and you're fighting the sleep. All of a sudden you see your bedroom door open. And Ezekiel walks in. You know it's Ezekiel because he's wearing like a super village shirt with a big E on it. He's like, ah, yes, sleep, my pretty, sleep. Soon 
you will wake up with new hands. <laughs> you dude, you know how terrifying that would be? You're falling asleep, you've been drugged, and the guy's like giving a speech about what he's going to do to you. He's like, oh yeah, these are particularly nice genitals, but I have some much, much better for you. I found the perfect match. And you're like, uh <laughs> you're all snoring. <laughs> you're snoring like it's a Popeye. <laughs> As he begins to saw your hands off, it could happen. It could happen tonight. You don't know. We don't know where this lunatic is right now. He could be waiting for you to take a drink of that milk. He's going to turn you into an Ezekiel. Welcome to the new world. Hope you enjoy. <laughs> you enjoy baby hands. Hope you enjoy having tiny, tiny hands. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend.